On Shillkill, we pair a crypto with a riveting true crime case, weaving together the worlds of innovation and investigation. Today, we shed light on a groundbreaking project before delving into a dark mystery. Stay curious and ready for more. I'm Chip Mahoney, and this is Shillkill, a unique fusion of finance and mystery. Today, it's a really big pairing, Chainlink and the Golden State Killer. On one hand, you've got Chainlink, a top crypto project, something they call an oracle. It's tamper-proof. On the other hand, there's a gun in the hand of the Golden State Killer, who was once a tamper-proof killer, but slipped up in a single point of failure. And I'm pointing that out next here on Shield Kill. So thanks for tuning in. This is the audio version, but if you like video, there's Spotify and YouTube. So another reason to subscribe, come back for more because I will have more for you, a new crypto and a new crime just about every week. But this podcast is for new people in crypto, new adopters of crypto, curious about crypto, and of course, crime fans. So if you know any crime fans out there and want to learn about crypto in the process, then this is a place for you and for them. Please share, come back. For more. If you have heard me before, and it wasn't just a drive-by, as I like to say, you're dropping the clip, pulling the crossover SUV back around on me, know that I appreciate that. I try to get bigger and better for you each and every time, often to give you reasons and value for being here. And I promise not to fire back with a bunch of technical jargon that I know you don't need. You just need to learn about the project and make sound decisions. I am a certified DeFi expert, and so I won't fire back on you like that. But the thing about crypto that you need to know is just not to miss out on the opportunity and don't miss out what I have for you next about Chainlink. Chainlink is a top 15 project in all of crypto, has about a 9 billion market cap, and in 2023, it's gone up about 150% to the upside. Big project listed on Coinbase and Kraken here in the United States. Legitimized, been around for about five years or so. And a lot of big projects work with Chainlink. Now, when you do look at coin market cap and evaluate projects, top 50, top 100, and you see Chainlink and you hear the name chain, you think blockchain, but it's not a blockchain. It's a decentralized Oracle network that works with blockchains because blockchains are a dime a dozen. You're going to see them everywhere in the top 50, top 100 of crypto. They're all around, but an Oracle network is different. It works with the smart contracts that run blockchains because remember that blockchains aren't run by people. They're run by smart contracts or scripts. And so long as the parameters are met, then you can do business and it's there on the blockchain forever. And so very inclusive, but there's data within those smart contracts that needs to be evaluated real world, real time. And that's what Chainlink does, does for a lot of people out there and projects, especially big projects like in DeFi, decentralized exchanges that need data 
accurate to the split second and can't have any points of failure. Otherwise, it's going to be a catastrophe. And that's one of the things that makes it tamper proof. It's reliable. There are no single points of failure. Because when you are relying on a single source to aggregate data, that source could fail. Something could happen. And therefore, it could crash and cause a point of failure. And Chainlink avoids that. And it hasn't had any problems that I know of. Very reliable, tamper-proof to all sorts of attacks. That's important, especially in DeFi. And I know that they do work with a lot of big projects, big names in crypto and decentralized finance, which I'll probably talk about more in the future as well. But again, you can get it on Coinbase and Kraken. And I think it's something that could slip into maybe the top 10. It could increase its position. I assume it's going to do well in the bull run. But as far as the market goes, it's niche market within the Oracle networks. It's got about 40% market share. There are other players in that market, but they've only got one, two, 3% market share. Chainlink, about 40%. So I think the growth here is massive to the upside. So in 2023, so far about 150%, but what about in the future? When you are evaluating projects and looking at coin market cap, looking at a top 50, top 100, and you see Chainlink, don't think blockchain, just think of a Oracle network. And that's something that works with smart contracts to pull out that data and make use of it for the real world, for analytics, decision-making, and for DeFi and those decentralized exchanges for them to be accurate with those trades and not make any mistakes because it's got to be 100% uptime in that world. And that's what it does. So tamper-proof, reliable, and has a, a big chunk of its own market share. So now in the true crime, I'm going to talk about something that was once tamper-proof, a killer that had his own way of doing things until he had a single point of failure. And I'm going to point out that case next here on Shillkill when I talk about the Golden State Killer. He was a tamper-proof killer up to this point, breaking into people's homes, usually female, tying them up and keeping up with his reputation as the East Area Rapist. But this night was different. It was early 1978, Sacramento, California, Rancho Cordova neighborhood. A young couple, Brian and Katie Majeur, were out for a walk with their little dog when they came across a prowler looming in the darkness of a neighbor's yard, about to break in. They lock eyes with this guy and the little dog chases after him into the backyard. And because he hates people, hates himself, even hates a former fiance that we'd learn about years in the future, this guy also hates little dogs and he picks it up and tosses it into the freezing pool. It's crying for its owners, it's yelping, and all the other dogs in the neighborhood are woken up by this disturbance. It's chaos, it's madness. So Brian and Katie rush back there to investigate, help their dog, figure out what's going on. They come face to face with this guy who's now got on the mask. 
He's got a gun in his hand and he drops a shoelace from his pocket, which was later evidence at the scene. It was a tool he was going to use inside that home because there were up to three females inside of that home. And he knew that. He was the guy making the phone calls. He was the guy stalking the neighborhood. So Brian decides to do something about it, but this guy's got the gun. And he puts two bullets in Brian, killing him instantly. Katie freaks out. She runs from the scene. The man in the mask chases after her with that gun. He catches up to her and puts a bullet in the back of her head. Standing in her pool of blood, he looks around. He didn't know it then, but it was a single point of failure. A chain that was broken. A link in the chain that was broken that would alter the course of the East Area Rapist, who would later be known as the Golden State Killer. Because within a year, he moved out of that area into Southern California and started killing couples. This was the first murder, a cold-blooded murder of a couple. Unexpected as it was, it was a single point of failure, a broken link in the chain. So he moved into Southern California within a year and started stalking couples because he already had a taste for that blood when he was standing in Katie's blood. He stalked couples now. He broke into their homes. He tied them up. He did what he did. He murdered them. And for the most part, they were couples, a handful of different couples until he stopped right around the mid-1980s. But he left traces of himself at those scenes more and more. And although DNA wasn't a thing, it would become something in the future. And therefore, you could use genetic genealogy to find out who this guy was. And right around 2017, they started doing that. It took a lot of time, a lot of effort, and about a thousand people or so within family trees that they built out. But eventually it got narrowed down to two people. One got crossed off the list, but Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. did not. He was a former police officer. He was somebody who had a total advantage over others because he knew how to investigate the crimes that he was committing. So he was the East Area Rapist. But if he stayed the East Area Rapist and never killed that couple, then maybe he would have never gotten caught. His single point of failure that night in Sacramento, early 1978, unexpected as it was, it certainly was a failure. He didn't go there to stalk a couple, to murder a couple, but he did what he did and he got that taste in his mouth and he was standing in her blood. He knew then what it felt like and from there he couldn't resist because he always escalated his crimes. So it was very difficult for investigators to figure out how unusual this was, um, how somebody could go from one area to the next, Northern California into Southern California, go from one type of victim to a murderer of couples, someone who had no problem stalking couples now and confronting a man inside the home, whereas before he didn't want to do that. So in this single point of failure, this break in the chain is what years later in the future led to the arrest of Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., who was and is the Golden State Killer, but was at one time the East Area Rapist up until 
the 1980s when he changed his M.O. on that unexpected night. But certainly he didn't hesitate. He was a killer. And that was the first murder of a couple. And there were several couples after that that would be killed by his hand. So this Chip Mahoney on this episode of Shield Kill, where a pair of crypto and a crime. Hope you've liked this pairing. I'll have more for you in the future. But on this one, I'm out. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe and join us again as we uncover the fascinating connection between two seemingly disparate worlds. Until next time. 